praise you, Lord Jesus. Father, when we come into your presence and we, as you reveal your joy, your pleasure in us to know that we are loved by a holy, all-powerful, perfect, sinless God. To know that we who have a sin nature, we that should be separated, you've declared Esau, I've hated, and all of us, Lord, have that nature, that mindset, and yet you would love us. We would hear from you instead of Esau, I've hated Jacob, I've loved. And to know that, Father, it's our desire to, one, experience your pleasure, experience your joy, experience this intimacy with you. And, Father, we understand that there are, are many different stones within your church, many different people making up the body of Christ. And so often, Lord, we have a tendency of thinking that whatever our personality is, it's the right one, it's the right thing. And yet, Father, there's many, many within your body. We can't say, you know, to the hand, I have no need of you if we're the head. The whole body is needed. Every aspect is needed, and it's perfectly knit together as you intend it to, Lord. But help us, teach us, teach us balance, teach us your heart. We ask this in Jesus' name and all the saints of God said, Amen. Amen. Well, saints, if you would, open your Bibles to the Gospel of John chapter 12. John chapter 12. As you find yourself there in John chapter 12, just scroll down to verse 2. Now, what we're going to do, if you're looking for a title for today's message, you could call it this. Serving or sitting, part one. A message on Martha and Mary. So that's what we're doing. Serving or sitting, part one. Guess what next week is going to be? Part two. Part two. Serving or sitting, part two. A study on Martha and Mary. This morning, we'll be looking at Martha. Next Sunday, we'll be looking at Mary. And so, just stay camped out here, praying through in this next week. Chapter 12, verses 2 and 3. Let me read those to you so that you can have an idea of where we're going here. It makes this statement. Well, you know, prior to that, let's, let's keep your finger there. Keep your marker there and actually scroll back to Luke chapter 10. I want to read this first. And then I want to show you the, the, the pre-Martha and Mary and then the latter Martha and Mary so that you have an understanding of what's going on. So let's look at the pre-Martha and Mary in Luke 10, verses 38 through 42. Then we'll read John 12, which is our text, verse 2 and 3. It says in Luke 10, verse 38, Now it happened as they went that he, Jesus, entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her, therefore, to help me. And Jesus answered, 
and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. So we see here the initial picture that we have in this event that Jesus approached and was there with the house of Martha and Mary, that Martha was serving, but she was distracted with much serving. Jesus said she was worried, she was troubled about many things, and there was Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet. And now when we come to John chapter 12, our text in verse 2 and 3, it makes this statement, there they made him, speaking of Jesus, a supper. And Martha served. But Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of oil. Do you understand why we have this? Message today, serving or sitting. And as we look to this, I think it's important to recognize that, that when we see this, when you look at Luke's gospel, we, we see the, the serving, we see, you know, almost as if it is that, that Mary is the poster child of how to do things right. Martha becomes this, this person who is, is the, the, the distracted, complaining, worried, troubled, busy bee. And as, as she does that, we begin to see that, that Martha here is, is just so worried and so distracted with something that's going on there that she goes to the Lord, she begins to demand of him, Make my sister do what is right. And yet amazingly, when we come to John chapter 12, we see service in its true sense. Understand, Martha's still serving. Jesus doesn't correct her for serving. And he didn't correct her for serving there in Luke chapter 10 either. Remember, he corrected her for what? An attitude. That's what he corrected her for. But we see here service in its really a, a pure sense, a true sense. And so as we look to this, I think it's important that when you see Christians, and, and I don't know what side of the fence you're on, maybe you're on the fence, which is, which is not a bad thing in this subject, service or sitting. Do you serve the Lord? And so, so often I think that there are Christians who feel guilty about serving when others are sitting and others are worshiping and you're busy doing all these things and others have that ability to come and to just sit and worship and, and honor God. And I, I think what happens is this, is some people feel guilty. Maybe I'm a second class Christian. 
Because, you know, here I am, I'm busy with all these things, I'm doing all these things, and I see people sitting just worshiping God as Mary was doing, anointing him and just not not worried about getting things done, just worried about honoring Jesus while she had the time. And so the question that, that comes up with Martha and Mary is this, is it better to serve or to sit, which is more important. And, and I think what happens is it's, that's the wrong question. The question shouldn't be is one better or one worse. The question is which is necessary. That's the question. Sitting or serving, which is necessary. Jesus is going to do something amazing. He's actually going to look to this this discussion in a sense, and he's going to answer it in just a couple of chapters. In John chapter 15, just scroll over there with me in your Bibles. And there in John chapter 15, I simply want to read the first six verses. And it talks about very simply within this, he, he teaches about the branches in relationship to the vine. What is the, 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 the branch? What is it supposed to do while it's there in the vine? And he says this, and I want you to understand. He says, I am the true vine, John 15, 1. And my father is the vine dresser. He talks about him being that anchor, being the source. He's the vine. And then he says this in verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit... Now understand that. The first thing he talks about is what? Bearing fruit. He's talking about Martha. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he makes this statement. He says he prunes. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he says he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. He says, you, have all, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Then he says this in verse 4, abide. Sit. <laughs> now he's talking about Mary. Do you understand? He said, you need to bear fruit. If you don't bear fruit, you're just taken away. If you do bear fruit, he prunes you so you can bear more fruit. But then he says in verse 4, abide in me. Sit with me. Hold on to me. Knit yourself to me and your heart to me. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Do you understand? He says, here's the ability to serve. Here's the reason to serve. Here's the heart to serve. He says, I want you to serve. I want you to bear fruit. If you're not bearing fruit, I'm just going to just, just take you away and burn you. But if you're bearing fruit, I want you to bear more fruit. But the fruit that you have has to do with what? The intimacy of the relationship that you have with me. And in verse 5, he says this, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Do you understand? He's putting these two. Is one better? I don't think that's the question, which is necessary. And the answer to that that we'll be discussing today and next Sunday is they're both necessary. But in its own context and the proper context and the biblical understanding of what service is. And then he says in verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, 
He's cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and they throw them into the fire and they are burned. It's amazing that as he goes through this, he's talking about the necessity of both. The necessity of both. And so we see that as Jesus teaches on which is necessary, and we understand that both are necessary, and there's an understanding that I want you to grasp about Jesus' relationship with Martha. Jesus' relationship, and as he instructs her, in a sense, in the service. One thing that you need to be absolutely clued in on is found in the Gospel of John, chapter 11, verse 5. It's one that we looked at a couple of Wednesdays ago, but in John 11, verse 5, the Spirit makes this statement, and it's a necessary, needed statement for you to grasp. For any of you that are Marthas, for any of you that want to do something and serve something that that you've just sat under the Lord and he's loved you and you know it. And then you're just burning to say, what can I do in response? I know you loved me. I know you saved me. I know I'm yours. What can I do? Is there anything that I can do to express my gratitude? But understand in John 11 verse 5, it makes this statement. Now Jesus loved Martha. Right off the bat, I love the fact that he says he loved Martha. Now, Jesus loved Martha, and then it says this, and her sister. You understand? It doesn't say he loved Martha and he loved Mary, or he put Mary first. Is he loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Mary, very quietly, doesn't even get her name mentioned. I mean, she's there, of course. But the Spirit wants us to understand Jesus loved Martha. Now, Martha did not have to become a Mary in order for Jesus to love her. Do you understand? It doesn't say that Mary finally sat, Martha finally stopped working, finally sat down, and now Jesus loves Martha. It doesn't say that. It simply makes this declaration, Jesus loved Martha. And so it's so important to recognize that, that God loves those who serve. You don't have to always just sit at the feet. Now, next week, we're going to see a balance of it, how it's important sometimes to be able to be those who sit at the feet. But I do want you to recognize here that Martha was loved. Now, we look to Martha. And, of course, there's many who falter because she was distracted, because she was, you know, worried about all these things. But I want to just bring us to a a balance on who Martha is. Now, of course, we do recognize that Martha was distracted. The Spirit isn't denying that you can be distracted by serving. That that could be overcompassing. I need to do this, and I need to do this, and I have to get all those things done. You have to understand that the service wasn't the issue. The attitude was. 
But I want you to see something important. Now, if, you're, if you still have like a mark or something there in Luke 10, we're going to be kind of popping back and forth in there. So, you know, maybe make a note of that or put something there so you can scroll back to that. But I do want to show you something. Some things that are important within this passage to help us understand a little bit of the heart of service, the need of service, and, and where it's proper in this context. Now, when we're looking at how we see here in verse 38, it happened as he went, as they went, that he entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Do you understand? Martha saying, come on in, Lord. I want to honor you in my house. And I think, you know, how important is that, that, that you welcome Jesus into your home, that you give him that place of lordship in your home. But she does. She welcomes him to do her house. And so she had a sister called Mary, verse 39, and it makes this statement, and, and you have to understand the context is important. It says this about her sister Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. Now, in the Greek, it literally declares she also sat. What does that mean? It means that at some point, commentators would agree that, that Martha sits at the feet of the Lord, and in this point, Mary also sat... But in this one instance, Martha is serving. And in the serving, it makes a point, that, a point to say that she's distracted. Now, this is a great thing. Because when Martha has an issue, what does she do? And it's actually a good thing. She goes to the Lord for help. She doesn't just start yelling at Mary, get up and do something. She goes to the Lord. And I, I love the fact when she's distracted, she approached him. Do you understand? It's so important to note that when we need help, we go to Jesus. Remember Martha, when, when Lazarus had died, she, she wrote to Jesus, hey, he whom you love is sick. She went to Jesus. Every time she needs help, she goes to Jesus. When Jesus, there in John 11, came to Bethany after he received the message, as soon as she heard that Jesus was there, she left. She went to Jesus. If only you had been here, my brother would not have died. Do you understand? She just runs to Jesus. Whenever she needs something, she goes to him. That's a good thing. So you understand that the fact that she was distracted, the fact that she, Jesus says, listen, I know what's going on. You're worried. You're troubled about many things. And so understand that it's not bad to go to Jesus when you need help. I mean, Paul did it. Remember there in, in, in um, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, where Paul said, listen, I was given this thorn in my flesh. And, and what happened is I pleaded with the Lord three times. I just went to Jesus. I went to, I pleaded with him to help. He said, oh, my grace is sufficient. 
Peter, remember when he was there walking on the water and in, in, there in, in, in uh, um, Matthew 14? He was sinking and he said what? Lord, save me. Asking Jesus for help is not a bad thing. Peter's asking, Paul's asking, we ask God for help. Asking God for help is a needed and necessary thing. But what he does is this, he corrects her. He corrects her on the attitude. And I think it's important to recognize that as we're going through the book of Proverbs, a few weeks ago, we were reading through Proverbs 3. And in Proverbs 3, verse 12, it makes that beautiful statement, whom the Lord loves, he corrects. Jesus loved Martha. And he wasn't correcting her not to serve. He was correcting her in the attitude of service. Now, we do understand that, that Martha, in that passage in Luke 10, was distracted. She was distracted. Something was going on that her ministry wasn't pure. Her service wasn't just simply, I'm serving Jesus. But there was a lot of other things because Jesus, you are worried and you are troubled about many things. Now, keep in mind, in her distraction, as it says there in verse 40, Martha was distracted with much serving. Serving somehow took it, it, uh, a role that it shouldn't have. Now, if you remember there in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, Jesus makes a statement that no one can serve two masters. You can't serve one master and serve another master. Now, don't get me wrong. You're supposed to serve the one master. But when you're serving two, all of a sudden, what? Now it becomes many things, more things that are needed. And so when we see that, he says no one can serve two masters. Either he's going to love one and hate the other. He's going to hate one, he's going to love one. You can't serve both. You're either going to be loyal to one, you're going to despise the other. So when one takes a greater role, the other takes a lesser role. So in your service, when service becomes necessary, when, when the, the, something else is involved in there, so keep in mind that while Mary was distracted, there was a lot of things on her mind, and it might have been that there were more people than just the Lord. He brings his disciples, he brings everyone else, and what do you do? I'm, I'm expecting you, and you're bringing your friends. There's a lot more to do, a lot to, to take place of. And so when she gets to this place of distracting, the issue being is this. She doesn't ask the Lord for help. She demands. You understand? I know what is the right thing to do. My sister is sitting there. And so she demands. She goes to the Lord and she makes demands. Not, not, not just simply requests. Demands. And so I just find it so interesting that she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care? Do you understand <laughs> Jesus, God, comes to earth in the flesh to make sure that Martha can have eternal life with him. And she's able to say, don't you care? This is God who's now sitting there. He became a man so he could die on the cross. And you say, don't you care? 
And I find it interesting that she, in a sense, degrades the Lord's character. You don't care. Now, isn't it amazing how you can kind of manipulate someone by saying, if you love me, you would do this. If you really cared, you would do that. And, and so we, we think, what, if, if I can do that and say, wow, if I can make you feel bad about not caring because this is the definition of caring that I want you to think of too. You make my sister. And it's amazing that here, Mary's sitting right at the feet of the Lord. And what does she say? She goes this, Lord, do you not care that my sister, my sister, <laughs> she's sitting right there. Her name is Mary. She's talking about Mary as if she's not present. Now, I find it interesting that what? She's not present doing what Martha wants her to do. And so not only does she, in a sense, degrades the Lord by saying, don't you care? She degrades her sister too. And by calling her my sister. And, and I don't think she said it in love. Oh, Lord, don't you care that? Oh, my sister. No, no, that wasn't it. That my sister, my sister here, don't you care that my sister has left me alone? That at this point, she feels detached. I alone am left. I alone am doing this. I I, I, it's about me being alone and no one else is here to do what I need done. I'll tell you what, we get detached. We think it's that we're all alone. There's no one else. And I think what's interesting is this, that, that Jesus, he corrects her. And, and not, not about serving, not about being alone, but he says, Mary, Martha, he says, you're worried. You're worried and you're troubled. I know your heart is anxious about some things. I know your heart is doing that. But I think what, what we see here is that, that he loves her enough to correct not her serving, but her attitude about being distracted. And so when we get to John chapter 12, what? She's still serving, but she's not distracted and she's not worried and she's not troubled. And so I, I think what we see is this, that when we look, nothing is said of correcting Martha in her service. It's correcting her in the attitude of what's going on in her heart. And this is important to make a note because so often there are well-meaning Christians, and I do believe they're well-meaning, who believe that you're the better Christian if you worship like Mary, if you just worship and abandon. You take the flask and you pour it upon him and you pour it upon his feet and you wipe the feet with his hair. You have intimacy and, and, and this connection with him and you just worship him and abandon. Then you're the better Christian. Doesn't say what is better. Doesn't say, but it does say what? Sometimes what's necessary and I think it's important. I want to read to you just a couple of scriptures to kind of give you an idea of the mindset that service is second class to sitting and worshiping. One of the things that I want to share is, is found in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Just write it down if you are a note taker. 
But it says this. It talks about that we, you know, you know Ephesians 2, um, 8 and 9. For by grace you are saved through faith. And that's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. And he says, not of works lest any man should boast. We understand that. That the, the, the salvation that we have is a gift. It was given by faith. Not, not by works. But it says this in verse 10, which is directly following. I mean, people quote Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. But for some odd reason, they leave 10 out. But after he says, for grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's a gift to God, not of works as any man should boast. He says in verse 12, he says this, he says, for we are his workmanship. We are his workmanship. And then he says this, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Lo and behold, we're saved not by works, but we were created to do good works. He says so simply, he says, you were created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You understand that God is so concerned about the service. He says, I'm going to tell you what, I'm going to actually prepare what you're going to do beforehand. And then I'm going to direct you by my spirit to what to do. And then I'm going to empower you with my spirit that you can walk with me in this task. It's so important to recognize that what we see as Christians, that it is not a bad thing to be wired to work. I want you to understand that. There are some people who are really wired to work. And there are others who, in a sense, are wired to not work like we work. But one thing you have to understand, it's not a bad thing to be wired for work, but it is this, it is a bad thing if you only feel worthy if you work. If that's the attitude that you have, where it's only when you're working do you feel loved, only when you're working are you accepted, then there's an issue. It's not a bad thing to work. It is a bad thing if you only feel worthy when you work and you say that, listen, I work like this. Others should be working like I work. And that's not what scripture teaches. But understand, when it comes to sitting or serving, I want to give to you a couple of scriptures. If you're a note taker, just jot them down. The first one I want to read to you is found in the book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, chapter 23, verse 11. Matthew makes this statement in 23.11. He says this, But he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. Absolutely amazing. that they're, they're, they're saying, you know, who's great? He says the greatest one is going to be the servant. That's who's great among you. In Matthew chapter 24, the next chapter, he says this in verse 45 through 47. And let me read to you Matthew 24, verse 45. Who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his master made ruler over his household to give them food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom when his master comes will find so doing. Assuredly, I say to you that he will make him a ruler over all his goods. You understand the master is expecting you to serve. 
The master says, I am the, 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 the chief over this. You are the steward of this. Serve. And I think it's important to recognize within that heart of what God desires for us to do and to be. There in Romans chapter 12, an incredible verse, verse 1, he says this, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, he goes on to say, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, and then he says this, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. That word service actually is translated worship. Present your bodies, a living sacrifice. And he says this, holy and acceptable God, which is your reasonable worship. It's not an extravagant worship. It's reasonable worship. Presenting your bodies in a sense to serve. And I think what happens is that, keep in mind that service doesn't always have to be a huge labor. Sometimes service can be what? Praying for someone. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to intercede. Sometimes praying could be simply encouraging someone. I'm going to come alongside. I'm going to encourage you. You're doing good. You're doing well. You understand that that, that service doesn't always have to be in that physical sense. Now, it can be helping someone, but it can be helping them in their spiritual walk and in understanding. And it can also be coming alongside them and helping them physically. Because where Paul said in Philippians 2, 4, he says, listen, let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. It's about being others orientated. It isn't about me, 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 me all the time and what I need and what I should have. It's about looking to others. And so as Peter said in his epistle in 1 Peter 4.10, as each of you have received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. It's important to recognize that we've all received gifts. We all have certain things that we do. But when you have that gift, don't keep the gift to yourself. You understand that as God has given you a gift, you share that gift with his body. You share that gift with others. And so keep in mind that we do recognize that what service is and that service is necessary. There's a passage, you should all be aware of it, and it's a powerful passage found in the Gospel of Mark chapter 10. I want to read just a couple of verses to you. Mark chapter 10, and I want to start reading in verse um, 42, and I want to read all the way down to verse 45. But it says this in Mark 10, verse 42. But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentile lord it over them, and their great one exercise authority over them. And then he says this in verse 43. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. Again, he makes that point. You want to be great? Serve. You want to be great? Humble yourself to put others above you. You understand the distraction in that Martha had was what? My priorities are more than your priorities. 
That's a problem. Now, when we see here that when it comes to serve, you're saying, I'm going to humble myself and I'm going to serve you as one who is better than I. You want to become the greatest? Become a servant of all. And, And Jesus makes this statement, and whoever of you desires to be first, he shall be the slave of all. And now he makes this statement in Mark 10, 45, and this is the key. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. You understand that Jesus, the reason I came is to serve. Not not the reason I came is so that you all just bow down and worship me. No, I came to serve. And in the service that I do, my, my greatest desire in serving is this, that you would see the love of the Father. This is it. He would say, when you do your works, do it in such a way that what they glorify your Father who's in heaven. This is the mindset that Jesus constantly wants us to understand. It isn't a bad thing to serve. Even the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve. To give his life, to draw us to the Father. I want to take you into a little journey. You don't have to turn there unless you're fast and you're good. But in the book of Exodus, I want to take you in a little journey. And what I'm going to do is this. I'm going to be repeating a mindset over and over again. But I want to show you how it is written in the book of Exodus over and over again and how important it is. I don't know if you've ever seen a movie on Exodus. Maybe you've seen, you know, Charlton Heston or the other guy who's portraying him and, and uh, um, old Ben Kingsley, I think he portrays him. And, and so there's an Exodus. But the whole thing about this is that Moses goes to the Pharaoh and he says what? Let my people go. That's not all of Scripture. I want to take you to really what the scripture declares because the scripture, as we're going to read again and again and again, says, let my people go that they may serve me in the wilderness. It's not just let my people go. No, no, no. There's a reason they're not going to serve you anymore. They're going to serve me. In Exodus chapter 1, beginning in verse 13. I want to share with you this passage, but it makes this declaration about the initial plight of the children of Israel. In Exodus 1, verse 13 and 14, So the Egyptians made the children of Israel serve with rigor, and they made their lives bitter with hard bondage in mortar, in brick, And in all manner of service in the field, all their service in which they made them serve was with rigor. Now understand, working for taskmasters is no fun. It is just no fun. When you have to do something because you're made to do something, it is no fun. I hate to say it, time drags and you're like, this is miserable and it is wrong, and why do I have to be the one to do this? And keep in mind, when you're made to serve, and it's something it's not in your heart, and you don't want to do, then it becomes this burden, it becomes this place of rigor. It isn't fun. When I was a kid, 
One of the things that was our duty to do as children within the Nelson household was weed the garden. Every summer, we would weed the garden. Now, keep in mind that when we were kids, we didn't just have a garden. We had gardens, literally. One garden that we had was probably... um, From the back wall here, if you go through that wall and into the next, and and you're probably right about the room, the fellowship hall, that was one garden. And then we had another garden that was probably about the size of the property. And then that one, we had all the potatoes and all the corn and all the, you know, more Items And so we would garden and garden and garden. So every day we would do a couple of rows. And when we moved on to the next couple of rows, the next couple of rows, the next, and by the time we got done, guess what? Back to row one. More weeds have come. And, and so it was one of those things where I hated gardening. I, it was just, oh, I got to do this again. I got to do this again. And my brothers had it in their mindset that, I can only pick the big weeds and I can move on. And I was one of those that if it's a weed, it's got to be gone. And what happened is I finally got frustrated and because they were all just boom, boom, boom. They got done with their rows and their rows looked horrible. And I had this mindset, you guys didn't do it right. I'm having to do it right. And, and I was frustrated because I'm pulling all these weeds and their rows look like garbage. And eventually I said, I'm just going to pick the big ones. My parents said, go back and weed it right. (laughs) You got to do it right. Now, the amazing thing is when I got older, we had a garden, not as much as we did. And to be honest with you, it was so therapeutic for me to go out and to be alone and and to just just weed the garden and to see, wow, I'm providing for my family. It was a whole other mindset. And it was actually a blessing. And then I wanted my children to serve in the blessing. I wanted my children to partake in the blessing. They come out and weed for whatever reason, they thought it was a burden. They, they didn't want to do it. Amazingly, my children now love to garden. They, they, they've learned the benefits of it. You don't learn it as a child, but you learn it as an adult. But I want you to recognize it, that there is this service. When it's not your heart, it's a rigor. But when it is your heart, what a joyful thing. So the children of Israel initially served with a rigor. But then it says this in Genesis 3, verse 12. When the the Lord is speaking, he said this. So he said, I will certainly be with you. And this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Do you understand? Here's the key. You are going to serve God. In Exodus chapter 7, verse 16, he makes this declaration. He said, and you shall say to him, the Lord God of the Hebrews has sent me to you saying, let my people go that they may serve me in the wilderness. He makes that statement before the very first sign of the waters turning to blood. Let my people go that they may serve me. And then eventually he doesn't let him go. So there, when he has the next plague, there in chapter 8, verse 1, the Lord spoke to Moses, go to Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. 
this is his heart. And so he still doesn't listen. And then as he comes on to the fourth plague there in, in chapter 8, verse 20, where you have the flies, he said, and the Lord said to Moses, rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh as he comes out to the water and say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. And then as he brings the disease there in chapter 9, verse 1, the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh and tell him, thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. In chapter 9, verse 13, he goes on, when you have the hail, the Lord said to Moses, rise early in the morning, stand before Pharaoh, say to him, thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. Then when it comes to the eighth plague with the locusts, he says in chapter 10, verse 3, Moses and Aaron came to Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me. And then in chapter 10, verse 7, again, he speaks, the, the Pharaoh's servant said to him, How long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go that they may serve the Lord their God. You understand? They knew what they were supposed to do. Not just let them go. Let them go that they may serve. And I think this is what's important. Service is not a priority over sitting before the Lord. It's a necessity. And so grasp that. Remember, I don't know if you've ever seen these, these plaques in homes. Maybe you have one in your house. Joshua 24, 15. He says this, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's his service. It's not as for me and my house, we're going to break alabaster flasks. That's not what it is. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Remember when Samuel was speaking to Saul there in, in 1 Samuel um, 12, where he said, Samuel went to Saul, he said, only fear the Lord and serve him. This is what you need to do. It's about serving God. In Psalm 2, verse 11, he says, serve the Lord with fear. In Psalm 100, verse 2, he says, serve the Lord with gladness. You understand there's a necessity that you're serving the Lord with this awe and worship, but you're serving the Lord. Why? Because what he does is this. He says, take my yoke upon you, which is what? Preparation for service. He said, but it's not going to be a burden. Mine is light. Mine is going to be something that I'm going to move it upon your heart that you're going to want to do this service. Not that you're going to have to do this service. If you feel you have to do it, then understand you're serving the wrong master. When you feel that you want to do it, that you get to do it, then you're serving Jesus Christ. See, anytime it becomes a have to, my, my, my counsel to you is this, don't do it. Step back. Step back until it becomes the thing that you want to do. And, and, and serve the Lord in that way. Now, I know what you're thinking. I, as a child, one of the chores that we had outside of doing the garden was what? Doing the dishes. And there are many who say, you know what? I don't want to do the laundry. I don't want to do the dishes. So I'm just going to stop. Because Pastor Lowell said... 
If it's not in your heart to do it, just don't do it. So you know what? Don't. Don't. Let your dishes pile up. Eventually, you're going to run out of dishes, and then you're going to realize what? Maybe I should do it. Or you're going to realize what? When I do do these dishes, I want to do it in such a way that I'm doing it as a worship. I want to do it because there are humdrum things that we do. Humdrum things that, that literally, when you do it, God says this, whatever you do, do it in the name of Jesus. Whatever you do, it, do it as, as, as a worship unto him. So what I'm saying is this, if you don't want to do the dishes, okay, don't. But I would, I would suggest this to you. Say, Lord, even in this one humdrum task, I'm going to do it as an act of worship. The people's hearts are going to be set on you. In John chapter 13, Jesus says something amazing. He, after supper, he sets aside his garments. He takes his basin of water and a towel, and he does something that a servant does. He begins to wash his disciples' feet. Amazingly, he says this. He says, you have to understand, do you know what I've done? Do you understand what I've done? What I've done is I've done this as a worship to my father. I've done this to show you what the heart of the father is. I've done this to show you who is the greatest. It's the servants. And he goes and he begins to wash the disciples' feet. Now understand, it's a humdrum thing. And it's a, it's a thing that only servants do. But yet that task was now written in scripture so that Everyone in all time could understand this humdrum task that only servants can do. You can do it as a form of worship. I'll tell you what. If you're going to do the dishes, if you're going to do the laundry, if you're going to you know, do those things, take out the garbage, do it as what? God, I'm doing this, one, because these things have to be done for the household to what? To flourish. You can let the dishes pile up until you have no dishes. You can, you know, do no laundry. And then what? Eventually, you're going to have to buy new clothes. Or you're going to have to wear dirty clothes. Or you're going to do what? Realize it's all a process of allowing things to continue. And it's got to be done. So if I'm going to do it, I need to change my heart in doing it. Because I could sit there and say, oh, I'm the only one that is doing this. Make them get up, Lord. Make them help me. And he says, well, you're distracted. You're troubled. It isn't just about you. It's about me and you. And this is what John 12 teaches. It's about the service unto the Lord. And so keep in mind that it's so important where Jesus Remember what he would say to Satan there in Mark chapter 10, or Mark chapter 4, verse 10. He made the statement, away with you, Satan, for it is written. And I think it's important. He says, you shall worship the Lord your God only, and him only shall you serve. Do it unto the Lord. Whatever you do, you do it in the name, the character, in the worship of God. Even if it's something humdrum like washing a foot or washing a dishes or washing clothes or, or taking out garbage or, 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 you know, vacuuming your house. Do these things unto the Lord. Why? The Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. This is the key. I want to share with you two last passages as we kind of conclude this message. The one is found in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10. 
Let me read it to you. And it's an important work because as we move through the New Testament, it says this in Hebrews 6.10. For those of you that think, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, and no one recognizes it. No one's helping me. No one's doing this. It says in Hebrews 6 verse 10, for God is not unjust to forget your work and your labor of love. You remember now, if you're doing it unto the Lord, and you're doing it as worship, as you're doing it as a labor of love, no one else may recognize it, but know this, God is not unjust. And and so we see that he's not going to forget this work. He's not going to forget this labor of love. You may not get the reward here, but understand the reward comes in heaven. And sometimes it's not the, the, the one that everyone sees. It's the one that no one sees and no one wants to do. And this is the important thing when it comes to this area of service. He says, very simply, God is not unjust to forget your work of labor of love, which you have shown towards his name, in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. It's a continual service. It, it, it's praying for people and continuing to pray. It's encouraging people and continue to encourage. It's about helping people and continue to help. This is the key. And so often we have this mindset to say, okay, well, fine. I'll work here. And as soon as then I go to heaven, then I'm done. I'm done. Because in heaven, we're just going to be standing before the throne, casting our crowns before the lamb. And that's going to be it. Let me help correct that. Because in Revelation chapter 7, I want to read a couple of verses to you. I want to start in verse 9, and I want to go all the way to verse 17, but I want to focus on 15. So Revelation 7 verse 15, let me start in the context of verse 9. It says, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, people, and tongues, standing before the throne, and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands. A multitude of people in white robes, redeemed by the Lamb, saved by the work of Jesus Christ. And then it says this, verse 10, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels stood around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures fell on their faces before the throne and they worshiped God. You understand this multitude is now seen. All of heaven just quiets themselves, fall down before the Lord. And in a sense, what's happening is this. When the multitude comes, all of heaven becomes a Mary. All of heaven becomes a Mary and falls down. And and so amazing where verse 11 said, they fell on their faces before their throne and they worshiped the Lord. All of heaven became Mary's. Saying, verse 12, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever, amen. Then one of the elders answered saying, who are these arrayed in white robes and where do they come from? Who's this multitude of the redeemed that's here? And in verse 14, said, I said to him, sir, you know. So he said to me, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. 
And now he says this in verse 15. Pay attention as I read through this. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him. Do you understand? They're serving God. There's work to do in heaven. They, and notice what this said. Verse 15, they, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. Now, this is important to recognize because when you see the tabernacle in the temple, what did the priests do? Well, there's all kinds of furnishings that are there in the temple. One thing uniquely is missing. Now, you have the mercy seat where the high priest sprinkles the blood once a year. You have this table of incense where the, high, where the priests go in and they, they put on the incense with the coals that came from the altar on the outside. You have this, this table of showbread that they replace it. And, and so they say, you know what, there on the Sabbath, on the seventh day, we're going to put on fresh bread. We're going to refresh it and keep it new, keep it fresh. They have the menorah, the lampstand, where there every morning, there every evening, they, they trim the wicks and they add the oil to make sure that this lampstand is burning and burning and burning. Right outside the tabernacle, they have the, the laver where they do the washing of themselves, and the washing of the sacrifices. And then they have the altar, the bronze altar, where they make the sacrifices for the people. What's missing in this statement? A chair. There is no chair inside the tabernacle. There is no chair inside the temple. The priests are what? They're not sitting around. They're serving they're serving, they're serving. And this is what we see here. Verse 15 of Revelation 7 kind of amps that up where it says, therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. And they shall neither hunger anymore or thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them anymore. For the lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to the living fountains of water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Do you understand that this is not a burden that's of labor? This becomes a burden of love. And I think this is what's so important about service. I don't know if you realize, but when you're a child and your parents do your dishes and your parents do your laundry and your parents do everything for you, and, and hopefully that ends by the time that you become a teenager. Now, I know there's still some people in their parents' house at 30 and 40, and they're, they're still letting their parents cook for them and do the dishes and do their laundry and do everything else. And I think in time, what? You need to change that around. You need to change, you need to become a servant. You need to serve them. And understand that when you're a child, they do what? They do it as a labor of love. They do it as a labor of love, and they train you up to so do what? So that when you do things, that you do it as a labor of love. You, you can choose to do so, you can choose not to do so. But I think it's important that they're serving God day and night in the temple. It becomes a labor of love. The option is this. You can serve, and you can be distracted by thinking only of you. Or you can serve, and you can be directed by thinking of the love of the Father. You've redeemed me. You've saved me. 
And, and my ministry doesn't have to be great and awesome. It doesn't have to be partying the Red Sea. It could be the mundane. My ministry could be simply washing feet, washing dishes, washing clothes, washing the car, washing the house, all, all these things. The, the, the whole thing about ministering and serving. And I think it's important to recognize what begins to happen. So we see this in our text, and it's so important to really come to that understanding where it says in our text in John 12, verse 2, it says very simply, there they made him a supper and Martha served. Martha served. Jesus doesn't say, whoa, whoa, enough, enough. You've been serving, you've been serving. No, he doesn't. (laughs) Understand, Jesus loved Martha. But Martha is not distracted. Martha is not worried. Martha is not saying, listen, here's my sister. No, she's letting her sister do her own ministry. Martha's doing her ministry. And she's not demanding. She's not demeaning the Lord. Don't you care? She's not demeaning. This is my sister who's not helping me. And I love the fact that she's not distracted. She's not demeaning. She's not demanding. She's simply what? I believe that she's worshiping. She's worshiping. And and may we have that understanding where we don't ask the question in our mind is serving or sitting better? The question is, and we'll get to see the next part next week, is serving or sitting necessary? And the answer is yes. So now we understand how the service needs to be in the right heart, in the right direction, and that ministry unto the Lord, that it needs to be a labor of love. And it doesn't mean that, you know, like I said, you can say, Pastor Lowell said not to, but I, I would say you're, you're not hearing the message. Pastor Lowell says, do it, but do it as a labor of love. Seek to do it as a worship unto the Lord. And it's going to change your whole mindset in what you do. And when you say, but, but, but no one's saying thank you, no one's seeing it. And God is not unjust to forget your labors of love. God will reward you openly one day and say, you've done this faithfully, but you've done it unto me. You've done it as a worship to me. And when you do these things as a worship to me, guess what? I'm going to honor that. I'm going to honor that. And so just in case you're thinking that, you know, here's Pastor Lowell. He gave this message, and it's always about doing the dishes and, and always about doing the laundry. Why is he picking on the women? Guys, I'm talking to you. I'm talking to you. Are you doing the dishes? Are you doing the laundry? Are you assisting in those things? Are you doing it as a labor of love or realize, no, 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 no. I have come into this house to be served. Not to serve, but to be served. No, no, check it out. Understand, let your labors be a labor of love as well. So just in case you're thinking, Pastor Lola's only picking on the women. That's not what I'm doing. I'm just using those two things as an example. Not, not, not as, as a necessary that, that this is what the, the wives are to do. Tradition says maybe, but I'll tell you what, God says differently. Guys, get involved in the mundane. Get involved in the, because I'm doing the washing because of the washing of the feet. That was the connection. So with that... May we, may we recognize that we have come not to be served, but to serve and to point people to the Father and to his love. Amen? Amen. Father, we are so grateful that as we're looking at this 
issue, part one of Martha and Mary, part one of, of serving or sitting, that we realize that it's not which one is better, but which one is necessary. And the answer is both. So thank you for teaching us what it is to serve and prepare our minds to really understand biblically what it is to sit, what it entails, when it's right, when it's, when it's necessary, and, and how to do that and what heart to do it in. And so we're asking, Lord, that, that you would knit our hearts to an understanding of this balance of ministry. Not which one is better, which one is more necessary. We understand that, that sitting is good, sitting is right, sitting is proper. That Mary also sat. Not she was the only one who sat, but she also sat. That there's a balance in, in, in times and what to do and to be led by your spirit. So continue to direct us to your heart. Continue to listen these things. Help us, Lord, recognize that, that we are here to serve you. And in serving you, others will be blessed. In serving you, others will have the benefit of it. But we do this to serve you. And when we have that mindset of, oh, I'm doing this and I'm doing this, that it's... We understand that if serving is because what causes us to have worth, it's wrong. We already have worth. We're already loved. So teach us these truths, these balances, as you knit our hearts to yours. We ask this in Jesus' name. And all the saints of God said, amen. Amen. Well.